was it love at first sight or was it a slow development and did you in those days did you have to resist because it wasn't appropriate in the workplace yeah there was some resistance yeah slow burn for me (laughs) (laughs) you know it was it was all the things you just mentioned um and it was definitely we we just we went for it actually and didn't matter whether it was something that was permissible or anything else was it right there in the kitchen that's that's the classified information this episode of right at the fork is brought to you by zupan's markets something very exciting court now you can actually order online from zupan's and do curbside pickup So if you go to shop.zupans.com, it's very simple. You choose your store, whether it's uh, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, or McAdam. You create an account, which I think everyone's done in many different ways before with other things. And you build your basket. And you can also provide special requests by adding a note to any item. So uh, you might want something to be a little smaller than larger. So you do that there. And then lastly, you just drive down to your favorite Zupans and pull into a designated curbside pickup spot, call the number on the sign and let Zupans know you've arrived and out come your groceries. You don't even have to get out of your car. I love this. So whether you're you're pressed for for time, or maybe you have some some difficulty getting around, or in, in these times, if you should not be going into a store based on maybe some exposure and whatnot, let Zupans do everything for you. Well, not only that, it saves. If you know what you want, here's the way I look at it. If you know what you want then it's going to save a lot of time. You don't have to spend the half hour to 45 minutes in the store. You just go and pick it up. And I don't know if Zupans would love me saying this, but it pre- it prevents you from doing impulse shopping. So I'm, I'm always down for the impulse shopping, especially when it comes to Zupans. You've been... You've been sharing on Instagram some of the great finds you've been finding at, at uh, Zupans, including their, their specialty sections, which are, you know, oftentimes kind of related to what season we're going into. I mean, we've said this before. There's no better place to go if you're looking for a special gift for somebody, whether it's a birthday or just a housewarming gift. Zupans is the place to go. I agree. I love impulse shopping there, but there may be times where I just want to get what I want to get. How many yes. times have you been in the line and say, man, I just came in for eggs and there's, you know, two bags full of stuff. So oh, that's that's me every time I go to Zupans. I, I walked out with a, a, a pepper grinder last Sunday that I that I didn't technically need. But, man, I love it now. So, yeah, there's always a lot of good impulse shopping. But still, this is an alternative and you know we already mentioned the three stores so we've got mcadam we've got west burnside lake oswego we've always said zupans.com but now court where else shop.zupans.com All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. I'm my co-host. I'm the guy in the, well, I'm not in the driver's seat, Chris. Am I the navigator? Am I sitting, am I riding shotgun? Am I sitting in the back seat just listening to the conversation? I don't know. 
But I'm Court from uh, Portland Radio, kink.fm. Well, here, you. this wouldn't be happening if it weren't for you, Court. For the last eight years now, we're coming up on completing... Is that true, eight years, or are we completing seven? I don't know. We're, complete, we're completing eight. That's unbelievable. Yep. So, yeah, without you, the podcast would not be happening because you have found a way through thick or thin to get this thing done from the start before we even really knew what a podcast was. Sure. And so uh, I appreciate it, Court. It's, um, it's always great to hear your voice right in the beginning. We used to have you in the interviews, and maybe someday we'll get back to that. It was a little, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if this, this will insult you or make you happy, but it was a little Ed McMahon-ish. For, for a while there, where you were there to add some color to all the interviews. Right. Oh, no, that's not an offense. I mean, I've, I've made yeah. my career uh, for a good chunk of my radio career. I was the, I was the uh, guy in the room that was there to react to stuff. <laughs> the straight man, right? Yeah, sure. I yeah. guess that's what they call it. So, by the way, I wanted to ask you, because we don't do this very often, but, I, you know, of course, I love Ted Lasso. I'm, everybody who watches it loves it. It's just a wonderful, positive, and funny show. Have you seen it yet? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. My wife has ha, and I have started the first episode about three times, um, and uh, we've enjoyed it, but we've never moved on to the next episode because the first episode, and everybody tells me this, the first episode is not the best introduction to Ted Lasso. It's really the the second episodes and everything that follows. So, well, it gets, it it's gets, on our list. It's worth it, and it's one of those shows, much like when I first watched uh, The Office, the British version with Ricky Gervais, and Extras also with Ricky Gervais. Yeah, you, you can't absorb all of it. I, I, right. I said the other night, it's like, I think I hear about 80% of this, and I don't want to keep rewinding, but so because of the British accent, and they, they tend to speak a little fast. But the stories are great. The writing is fantastic. Fantastic. However, we hit the end of season two this week, so I was done with that, and I saw someone on Facebook posted something that normally wouldn't sound great to me on Apple TV, Mythic Quest. I just finished the first two episodes last night, and uh, yeah, last night, up late watching it, and uh, I really enjoy it. I think it's great. It's pretty, it's pretty witty, and it's... Uh, pretty dry humor and uh the, the writing is great so yeah apple apple tv's got some good stuff i've i've watched uh, a few episodes of mythic quest and there's if you're into sci-fi there's a really good one called foundation which is based on some old old sci-fi books that uh are, are it's pretty great i heard that was good and of course now i i've got to figure out what to drop for apple tv because right john stewart's on apple tv too so you know now i just gotta stay there it's only what five bucks a month so it's worth the um it's worth the trial subscription and then five bucks a month after that so well chris if you ever decide to come over to the dark side and, and get yourself just an, just you know get yourself an iphone yeah, uh, like like I have done. I actually get Apple TV free because I have an iPhone. It just it's part of my uh, deal. Oh, that's great! So for the extra uh, x amount of dollars, sure, I can save five bucks. A yeah, month. yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I've never been to I, the dark somebody's side. Somebody's paying somebody. Friend. Isn't right. it incredible that I've gotten by this far without going to the dark side? Well, so, you know, it's it's interesting because it there's a commitment to it, and I know that there's probably better products out there than the iPhone, but. Um, Everything I have is based, like all my apps, all my, it's all on my phone. 
I have a history there. I, I do not want to change. I yeah, have no I, desire. To I get swap. that. That's one of the reasons I've been with Android. And then I guess yeah. before that, I could buy three PCs for the cost of one Apple, one you know Macintosh product. So right. uh, that's always why I've done that. But at any rate, um, I'm glad to that they have the Apple TV that I can subscribe to. You can't get the app on an Android phone though. You got to go through Google ah. TV. Yeah. So, uh, but at any rate, two shows that I've enjoyed and recommend, and I'm sure 90% of the people are on Ted Lasso, but perhaps not Mythic Quest. And, I, you know, I'm not really into video games, but, but it's pretty funny. So, sure, it's, uh, it's about video games, but not really about video games. Right, it's about the corporate structure and yeah. the, off, the office at a video game. So it's pretty yep. much like The Office, but around a video game company. So uh, I sure. think that might be a good general descriptor. Anyway, nothing like The Office or video games would be... Uh, a new pizza place that's open right across the street from Ringside to give you a little, uh, to give uh, listeners some bearings um, called Pizza Cat. And it's with our friends uh, Scott and Emily Ketterman, who many may have known or have stopped into an event over the years, uh, who were the people behind Crown Paella which, uh, of course, when you think about what Crown Paella did, which was create uh, delicious uh, opportunities for fun events around paella. Well, that kind of thing went by the wayside over the pandemic period. So um, Scott and Emily were two people who had to live through a little panic on what's going to happen with our business. And we talk about that in this episode. And then we go on to how they arrived at pizza. It makes a lot of sense. And Pizza Cat moving forward. So that has just opened recently for takeout and delivery through some of the services, which they'll talk about at the end of the podcast. Um, and I've seen, I, I haven't had it yet, but I just know that anything that they do is going to be based on excellent ingredients and love and, and craftsmanship. And so uh, I've seen the pizzas on their website, pizzacatwithak.com. And they look fantastic. And of course, there's some chops there, no pun intended. Uh, I didn't realize this uh, until we, until I started looking up a little bit about their background, but they, uh, they, they were at Rue, which was a North Portland place that I enjoyed before it closed a few years ago. And then Simpatica Dining Hall and also Laurelhurst Market. So there's a lot of uh, excellent, and I'm sure there's more that we don't we didn't go into but excellent uh, culinary background to uh, deliver some new pizza on the west side of portland with pizza cat and i really enjoyed this conversation court one of the benefits one of the silver linings to the pandemic is now we're recording the podcast online which gives us an easier opportunity to have more than one guest in the studio so, that's right uh, so in this case, we had Scott and Emily on the other side of my monitor, and um, well worth it. I, I had a lot of fun. So um, 
I think people will enjoy this and I'm sure they're going to enjoy the pizza and it's really nice to be talking about some fresh new things going on in the Portland food world as opposed to the, the gloom and doom that we had for so long. So here's a positive, uh, here's a positive um, silver lining from the pandemic. Scott and Emily, uh, Scott and Emily Ketterman of Now Pizza Cat. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022. To Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com. It's good to see you. It's really good to see you. It's great to see you too. It's yeah, been it's been a long time since we've seen you, and we've seen a lot of people. So we, I went to a, the block party at Nikki yesterday, and it dawned on me this morning that the one, the first time we ever had a really nice long conversation was, I don't remember where it was. I think it was also a Nikki event, maybe, but it yeah. was with John and Teresa Valls. We were all. Yeah, whenever they had sort of an open open day out at the farm right so coincidentally I first time I had a nice long conversation with them since was yesterday and then it dawned on me this morning that oh Scott and Emily are joining joining us this morning so that is so great John and Teresa are the best you know, but it, they're they're great. It was really fun to see them, and you know, a lot has happened with them over the pandemic. Everybody's got their pandemic stories, totally. and so that's John and Teresa Valls, and he's a great photographer in town. And she is his. She administers has administered all his, um, you know, bookings and all that. But now she, we were talking about her pastry work, which is pretty incredible. Um, nice looking. Yeah, nice looking stuff but she's kind of doing it as a hobby. Um, but anyway, you have had some things occur. You know, talk about uh, a screeching halt. And I, I read the article in Eater where you, we call it a pause. But I think it was more of a pause when you had all your bookings canceled, your entire livelihood for your business once uh, COVID hit, right? That must have been a little bit of a shock to the system. How are we going to do this? It was, it was definitely... Um it was a it was an interesting moment to say the least, where you know the the threat of the pandemic first and the pandemic hit. It's like okay, everything's shut down, and initially it's like all right, cool. Well, uh, we're gonna lose what two weeks worth of events, a month worth of events. Um, we'll be able to weather that, and we'll pick right back up in a, you know four weeks, maybe eight weeks at the worst. Um, and you know that was in the spring, which was. Uh, sort of coming out of our slower season anyway, so we were prepared to be a little bit slow. So we were like, okay, cool. You know, the mindset at that moment was like, 
let's just let's just get through this and then we'll pick right back up the summer season we'll be busy everything is going to be great when covid is gone right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> a year and a half later what you know here we are so well, you know, I had a conversation a, a couple of episodes ago with Andy Fortgang, and we put it all kind of in perspective. He put it in perspective, but I hadn't noticed this a while ago. If you recall back to 2018, when there were snow days and you know he said oh my we had to close the restaurant for a day and we'd be freaked out about how would we meet payroll and all that stuff and then cut to a couple of years later and now you now you're shut down for a year and a half try that on for size so yeah. so so yes a real reason for pause because you also didn't really do anything that didn't involve a lot of people in a small, not a small amount of space, but a lot of people congregated. Yeah, yeah so. I think catering, it was a particular challenge for catering. Um, I think definitely for us, you know, our whole business model revolved around having large groups of people gather and you know, large pans of paella in our case, um, you know, huge communal pans of paella, which during anything COVID times, that's like absolutely not what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think all catering companies are sort of impacted in a similar way because you don't, you don't have as much flexibility to be able to pivot um, quickly with a catering company, you don't have that retail outlet where you can say, okay, I'm going to sort of change up my format a little bit um, to adapt to the times and make this more accessible. You know, oftentimes the locations aren't even in a spot that's ideal for that. And you just, you know, catering companies haven't really developed that sort of uh, retail focus or that that name that people associate where they can go straight straight to that and get like their meal for the weekend or their meal, you know, their meals or whatever. And so, well, especially when you don't have a physical, necessarily a big physical space for pickup, exactly. takeout and all that. So, yeah, exactly. With Crown, we really, we really found it was best to keep, keep our, uh, our retail location low key, even though it's the same one that we have now, just because we couldn't offer people much if they walked in, it'd be like, like it play it today. How about we yeah, just hold on a second? Let me whip some up for you. Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, so how was your so with all that realization and it just creeping on bit by bit, drip, 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 deluge, drip, 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 deluge. How was your how was your, how were your psyches along the way? How did you handle it? Were you freaked out? Were you both able to calm each other down? How how did that go? Well, if we had a little, if we had a fly on the wall, what would that have been like? It was a real mixture of things. Honestly, it was kind of all over the place. Um, we definitely can't calm each other down. No, well, it depends on the day. It depends <laughs> on the day. Sometimes we just exacerbate one another a little bit, like getting each other riled up. But I don't know. I think. Um, I think the fact that we're parents is, has made us, <laughs> given us the ability to adapt to a lot of things. You're like, all right, well, we can we can roll with this. So, you know, initially we really tried. We're like, let's let's do some pie pickups. Let's do some things that we can continue to offer stuff to, for people, and folks can come in and pick it up, and we can continue to sort of limp along a little bit and um, keep paying the bills and keep our crew employed and everything. Um, but at a certain point, it's just like, you realize 
Well, for for me, I'm like, I, you know, paella needs to be served out of the pan. This is such a beautiful dish, and a big part of the experience is like standing around, watching it cook, having a glass of wine, experiencing it, smelling it, and then everybody getting together and eating paella out of the pan. Uh-huh. Um, so when you when you make it and you put it in a to go box and send somebody off with it, it's just it just really loses the the charm and it loses like the thing that makes that dish so wonderful and satisfying. And so we we did that for a couple of months and then we realized you know our, with the pandemic continuing to drag on, we realized that really the best approach for us. Um, was to just stop operating for a while and try to preserve you know, any capital that we had to be able to sort of pick things back up on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a bit of a uh, an emotional roller coaster throughout the process of trying to make those decisions. Wow! And that you know that was something as a consumer I realized it didn't take me long to realize. And if you look, I, I don't I don't expect that you've listened to this podcast, but anybody who has has endured it over the last year, I have done so much bitching about eating out of a box. Um, <laughs> well, because I realized this is not dining. This is not. Yeah. This is just eating, and it's. Yeah. Not the experience that I love so much that, you know, was meeting people, the social experience, and it's a fucking box, and it, and the box half the time opens and falls all over your, the back of your car, and <laughs> so I got tired, I just got really tired of that, so I'm really excited that things are opening up again, and we can, you know, the, the first few experiences in an actual restaurant are just even more delightful than they've ever been, even though servers walking up to you with this mask on. Um, but someday it'll be back to that. But um, are you still planning? We'll get to Pizza Cat, Cat, but are you still planning to? I can't imagine you would shut down Crown Paella. And then the comment I was going to make before was that when you were saying having kids helped you to deal with certain situations later, but that also cranks up some of the stress because you got to feed kids and you have to, you know, take care of them. And now all of a sudden you have zero income or you're losing money so yeah, yeah. that's a few questions in one but um, I mean initially there were many many moments of panic I have to be honest with you many definitely. Um, it would crown was finally a very very viable business for us and we relied upon it 100% so we had a lot of a lot of stress um, and a lot of questions for ourselves uh, <laughs> that we couldn't answer. Um, so really the stress management part was first, just trying to figure out what to do. So that's sort of when the pause happened, that we had to just stress aside, give ourselves permission to like take a look at things and try to figure out what path forward made sense, like what we needed you know, for our family and what the industry was looking like. I mean, I guess it's hard to argue that the industry is in a pretty rough place, you know, in general. So, and there was no way to really know exactly where the industry was going to be when, right? It was that, that part was tough. And in addition to that, we're going through the election last year, which was stressful for anybody in and of itself, Absolutely. not knowing on the other side, what was going to happen. Um, yeah, whether we're going to be left with a land of Wendy's and McDonald's, and that's it. So, um, but at what point did you come up with the 
think that maybe pizza is the way to go, a retail location, and um, no matter what happens with Crown Paella, this is something we can do. Yeah, well, you know, I think that it, it sort of, it started, we, our lease actually ran out during the pandemic. We, we finished up our lease and we sort of came to a crossroads at that point where we were like, okay, what do we want to do? Do we, we had full intentions prior of re-signing a five-year lease and continuing to operate our, our business in that way in the same capacity. And then once the pandemic hit, we are like, geez, this is, this is an absolutely terrible idea to re-sign this lease and to try to plot a course forward. Um, and we really, uh, we were back and forth on that for a little while. And at the, at the end of it all, we decided that we didn't want to lose everything that we had invested into that space. And we didn't want to walk away from it because at the end of that, all, all you have is a, a bunch of equipment that on the used market really has no value. And, and we put a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of, um, I don't know, just a lot, a lot of, a lot of work into that space over the years. And so we started thinking about it and we we're like, all right, well, I mean, we're creative people, you know, uh, we can come up with something. It's actually in, um, a retail location that we were running that out of. We, we bought a restaurant, uh, that was failing years ago and converted that into our catering space and our offices and sort of our little showroom for our clients. And so we're like, let's, let's think of something that we can get off the ground that can be takeout friendly for now, but also something that we still want to be doing in five years from now, you know, if this works out, we didn't want it to be sort of a temporary fix. Like, okay, what's going to work right now? What's going to get us through, you know, that aspect of it was important, but also it's like, well, what do we really want to do? What do we want to be doing when we come out of this? Like, what do we want our lives and our, our livelihood and our existence to be like? And pizza is, is something that um, I think everybody can agree that it's, it's comforting and it's fun, it's satisfying, it's super enjoyable. And it's something that, uh, honestly, 17 years ago, um, when I was in Portland cooking, working, it was, you know, the landscape was a lot different on the food scene and particularly with pizza. Coming from the East Coast and, and being out here, at, at that time, I was like, man, you know, there's there's room for some more pizza. There's room for some more places and some more interesting stuff happening. Where on the East Coast are you from? I'm from Maryland originally. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I sort of was trying to trying to get something like that going 17 years ago, and I ended up uh, taking a, a pretty good uh, sous chef position, and one thing led to another, and. I sort of abandoned the idea. I met Emily as well in the process, working at that same restaurant. It was Rue Restaurant in North. I, I'm going to note for those people who only hear you and don't see you that right before that, Emily had this l beautiful look looking at you, going, <laughs> "This was part of that time too." Yep, absolutely. I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> no. But as a good husband, he he get, he got the cue without even looking yeah, right at you. Yeah. He saw he saw your head turned. He's so, uh, he's so good though. That's one of the great things about us all being on camera right now even though the audience out there listening can't see us it's it's nice to, to have well, I, I like it because yeah there's certain things you can glean 
seeing someone without that are better than just being on the phone. But anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're talking about where you want to go. How old are your kids, by the way? Because that's that is has a bearing on when you're thinking about what do we want our future to look like. Yeah, look, he's, we just have one. He's 11, and uh, it's he was he was one year old when we started Crampaia. So okay. yeah, he's grown up. Um, he's a the restaurant child. He's almost tall enough to properly run the dish machine too. So. That's what I was saying. How much, <laughs> how much? That's what I was thinking. How much assistance and at what point? But um, well, that's cool. So um, and also, pizza does not require the not that paella necessarily requires explanation, but pizza is way more universal than than people's familiarity with paella. I th- I would venture to guess that a lot of people in Portland. Other than a couple of our storied, beautiful Spanish restaurants where they're going, but their first exposure to paella was your incredible paella at events and standing around. And that's what made it so special is that you could smell it all, be right there, watch you cooking it. It's great. But pizza mm-hmm. doesn't, pizza's, you, you don't have to explain it to anyone. Everyone knows how to pronounce pizza. That's very true. <laughs> how to eat it? How to eat it? <clears throat> and you know what? A, a lot of you know a lot of people uh, don't know about the nice crispy part of paella until they try it. And that, that's why you. That's why you need to prepare it. Need it right then and there. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny that you say that because when we first started Crown and we were putting out you know the huge pans of paella we found that we actually had to explain it, you know, to the, the people that would hire us obviously understood it. That's, that's why they came to us, but a lot of their guests wouldn't get it, you know, particularly for weddings and stuff like that, where people have guests coming from all over the place and from all different backgrounds. And we would serve the paella. And initially we found that like people would go through, um, would go up to get paella and they would just skim the seafood shellfish stuff right off the top right and so before like the last people went through there's just like the re- some rice and like soaker out in the bottom everything had been cherry picked so we found that we yeah they were, they were really missing, missing like one of the part. one of the best parts which is that soaker out that that crust of rice on the bottom and around the edges that, that you mentioned and so i found that I had to get up and give a little speech about the food and explain to people about the sokarat and that they should really like go straight to the bottom of the pan and, and you know, scrape that part up. And, and, you know, people were really receptive. As soon as I started explaining that, then that's what would happen. Everyone would go through and everyone would make sure to get some of that. And, you know, after a few years of doing the paella events, we found that whenever, whenever I would get up and I would give that speech and I would mention the soap rod, I would start seeing all these heads like nodding in the crowd and people being like, yeah, soap rod, that's what I want. That's the stuff. Um, so it was interesting. I felt like, yeah, over, over time, like people knew a lot more about that dish and, and um, were really, really into it. Well, it's a fun, it's a fun concept for groups, and I agree <clears throat> that you know anybody who booked it knew, but it was extremely fun for their guests to have an experience they wouldn't have, rather than the typical past apps and there's some sliced prime rib over there, and uh, it was great. And it's easier to eat too. It's easier to eat from a standing position. <laughs> Which is another one of my gripes, you know, going to events and being able to 
figure out how to hold a, gla a little glass of wine and eat at the same time. Oh, One yeah. of my big frustrations in life because they always end up in my shirt one way or the other. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah, but anyway, but you know, now after having not done that I did it yesterday for the first time in a while I'll take it I'll take eating talking to people and figuring out what to do with that wine yeah. at the yeah. same time so skewers in your pocket for hors d'oeuvres and things like that yeah exactly and then you get home and you got you're getting pricked by, <laughs> by toothpicks and and you got a bunch of dirty in your pocket yeah <laughs> typical and a lot of good stuff. memories too though yeah, that's true. And so when you get pricked by the toothpick, you remember it. So, exactly. but what I didn't have to deal with was one of those boxes that open. And yeah. So. Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, where they've always had your safety in mind. Uh, of course, they have those beautiful updated booths and spent a lot of money on their ventilation system to update it to current standards and beyond. Um, so whether it's their delightful outdoor dining or inside, you can always enjoy ringside hospitality knowing they're steps ahead when it comes to safely serving you a fantastic experience. And of course, ringside always satisfies Chris. So if you've got something like, I don't know, A5 Wagyu, maybe that's your thing. You can come and enjoy it at Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, so no matter what the size group, whether you're just going to go dine as a romantic evening with two, some friends and family with four, or if you'd like a setting for a small group gathering, Ringside, of course, can put that together for you too safely. Reservations are super easy to do. You just go to the Open Table app or ringsidesteakhouse.com, make that reservation, or you can actually walk in without a reservation for bar top seating. Yeah, Ringside for over 75 years. 75! Standing mm -hmm. tall as the hallmark of great service and steaks in Portland. So what was your, we'll come around to it, but what was your experience with pizza growing up? Do you have some favorite places in the D.C.? I don't know if you're in the D.C. area or further west in Maryland. but Yeah, I was, I was further west in Maryland. And, um, you know, we didn't really have uh, a lot of, like, pizza joints that had any sort of notoriety outside of the small town that I grew up in. But I worked in this, this restaurant, this Italian restaurant there called Giuseppe's, and they had some really awesome thin crust, you know, deck oven pizza and just some great food. And, it, and that place was like, it was one of those restaurants that you work in where the whole crew just really gets along well. And the general vibe of it is just like a, a real family vibe. And it was just such a pleasure to go to work and every day and like work with all these cool people. And we did put out some great food. And for me, there's like the nostalgic memory of like working in a place like that where you know, it's 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 a very comforting thing. And were there a lot of and were there a lot of native Italian? I mean, Italian first generation Italians, perhaps. There, there's definitely there's a pretty big Italian community there. Um, that and Irish are sort mm -hmm. of the, the the two big groups that kind of settled that town early on. And uh, the owner of that place, Joe Pecorero, was was second generation Italian guy, and he was an absolutely wonderful human being to work with and. And, you know, so th those memories sort of, like, contribute to what is sort of shaping things that we're doing moving forward. 
um, that little bit of sense of nostalgia and that 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 comfort. You know, I feel like when the pandemic hit, like you could not buy yeast and flour at the grocery store, right? Like everybody started like baking. Everybody had their sourdough projects. You know, there are all these. I think that there's something just primitive, satisfying, comfortable about that sort of thing. And it was definitely no different for me. You know, I'm, I'm not um, I'm not excluded from that. And the difference is being a chef. It's just like okay, well. I'm going to do some baking. I'm going to do some pizza making. But also, I think I'm going to turn this into a business as well. Um, and really, that's when we started thinking about that space. Like, okay, well, what's going to work out of this location? What are people likely to support? And, you know, what can we do that's to-go friendly? Um that, that you know, pizza's pizza's a model where it's already sort of accepted and acceptable that it's going to arrive in a box. That's one of the few things I feel like where you get that box and you open it up and you're like, yeah, I got a pizza. Whereas like you open up your box of like seared foie gras on some celery root puree and you're like, yeah, I wish I had a really nice <laughs> restaurant eating this seared foie gras and had a glass of like good wine to go with it. <laughs> and how do I transfer this onto a plate and make it look like it was going to look in a restaurant? Whereas exactly, I, I've been I've been known to eat pizza without a plate, without or using the top of the box as a plate, right? Those, Absolutely. So, um, and you can sit your glass of wine on the box too, so you know it gets rid of that problem. I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, we had pizza out here, and I don't know if you've ever been to Marzano's. In oh, yeah, Miami. absolutely. They have a roasted vegetable, and then I add sausage to it, a roasted onion. The best thing about that, it's delicious. It's great pizza. I'm really lucky as a pizza lover to have that be the only pizza For place. Sure. But the aroma on the way home in the car, out of the from the box, is, you know, here I was complaining about boxes before, but you're right, pizza. Uh, it's conducive to that. So, um, your your knowledge of pizza. You're a chef. You you obviously had that experience back in Maryland, but I assume it was shaped a little bit from what's gone on in Portland in the last. You know, if you started at Pizza Shoals and Ken's, and yeah. then go from there, there's a lot. You know, and then you know, I'm one who's always noticed that everybody likes to cite New Haven style pizza, and none of it is New Haven style pizza. <laughs> I guess we know where you're from, though, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from Connecticut, but not that, you know, they approximate it. There is maybe as good as New Haven pizza, but in terms of the crust and how it's done and how it's cooked it's that or baked it's nothing approximates a pizza a pizza shoals comes close but the crust is too thick for a new yeah, yeah. style yeah. pizza yeah. it's great but at yeah, any rate yeah. Pardon? I'm really glad I'm not trying to do New Haven style because I would be nervous well yeah but the only thing is that only people like me would walk in and go this isn't but it doesn't matter. I still like it. I still love Souls. Yeah. I still love Ken's. But I've gone to so many places that caught. And the other thing I learned along the way is that the restaurants themselves, the pizza places themselves, didn't necessarily go out there and say this is New Haven style. Yeah. It was the, it was the Yelpers and the food writers who might have said this is their idea of New Haven style. So that 
that I've learned along the way. So you can't necessarily judge. I just judge on whether it's delicious or not. And whether first thing I go for is a, try the sausage and see nice. how that is. Because if you can if you can make great sausage, then you've got it down and yeah, and, yeah. and put enough on it. So I told my girlfriend this morning I'm not going to get into the cost conversation of pizza, the West Coast pizza, with Scott and Emily. <laughs> and I said, but I know me. I'm gonna ha I'm going to bring it up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll I'll get this out of the way, and then I wanted to ask you about your influences here in town and what you might sure. be closest to. But. You know, when I had kids, little kids in Connecticut, and we wanted to feed our entire family, it was a $9 proposition to go out and get a large pie and bring it home. And you could have half and half, whatever. And then I moved out to Portland. And, of course, years passed. So that $9 is probably $18 in New Haven area now, Connecticut. Yeah. But I moved out to Portland and I'm looking at $25 pies. And I'm at a certain place I won't mention that's that almost has a similar name to yours that would put five dollops of sausage on a large pie and charge $25 for it. And then I would go out with my kids when they got older and one didn't want that, so we'd have to order two after tip 80 bucks for to go out for pizza with my smaller family than I had before. Yeah. That's my, but I've learned, I've asked Brian Spangler and I've talked to Ken, uh, Ken Forkish. Yeah, the ingredients are a little different here. The times are a little different. Uh, you're getting much fresher ingredients. It's not generally Cisco that's delivering everything to the, and then they do magic with that on the East Coast. But um, so that's what I found. But um, it's a different experience out here. It's it's not the cheap thing that I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's absolutely true. And I feel like that was one of the the big. Uh, it was a big part of the appeal too, right? For like New York and East coast pizza is like, you can go into those slice shops and for like a, with a couple of bucks in your pocket, you can get a slice of pie and a soda, right? As a kid. And it's just like two slices and a pie for, and a soda for five bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, that's, and even in, uh, even in Italy, right? Like it's an inexpensive food and it's like the people's food. And that's one of the beautiful things about it is it, it's approachable for anybody and everybody. Um, and it's definitely a real it's it's a real challenge and a real struggle to sort of to balance that out to keep pizza super affordable and super approachable for everyone because we definitely want that too. Um, yeah, you want it, but I don't think you necessarily have to try that hard. I'm not going to encourage yeah. you, but but the 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 bar in Portland is a twenty five to thirty dollar large pie now, and that's yeah, you yeah. know that's what you're competing with. And if you came in at, I would imagine it would be impossible for you to come in at a twenty dollar pie because everyone else, I'm sure, has tried that or would like to. But um, it, I don't think it's as necessary. But it's just it just takes some adjustment, like everything else in for life. Sure. And I still love it. For but, sure. It's a different thing. And I don't have to go out with my kids. So it's just now it's a, I'm just ordering generally smaller for two people and I can get Small pizza, that. extra sausage, boom. You're in. <laughs> I haven't thought of the extra sausage lately, but yeah, I'll do that. I'll do it from I'll do, I'll call, first thing I'll do with you is extra sausage. Actually, I'll call and say, you give me what you think I might like. Knowing knowing what I've said and knowing whatever you know about me, let's have it. So, um, but so what are some of your influences? Influences here. 
I, everything. Um, it's, it, you know, you brought up a good point of talking about like some of the, the great pizza places in Portland, because whenever, whenever 17 years ago, I was first looking at opening a pizza joint, like I meant, like I said, you know, there weren't a lot of those places that are now super iconic in Portland and just really raised the bar. And it was honestly right around that time that Pizza Shoals came on my radar and Ken opened his place. And at the time I was like, whoa, I, I couldn't possibly compete with these guys actually. Not that I would want to compete with them, but I'm like, they just changed the game in this town and I don't even know how to make a crust like that. I have no idea where to begin. And in the 17 years that have passed, so many more good places have opened up. And there's a lot of good pizza in this town. And there's a lot of really great pizza in this town now, too. One of the things that's also changed in that 17 years is the um, information that's available. The number of books that have been written, the number of blogs, the number of things that have been dedicated to like making good dough and making good pizza all that information is out there now and so if you really want to do it whether it's in your house if you just want to make pizza for yourself your family in your house or you want to do it professionally if you're willing to like dig in and do the work all that information is available now all of it can be found and so that was definitely something that whenever we were talking about opening a pizzeria the first thing that came to my mind is like I really have to get on my dough game here because it, otherwise there's there's no chance whatsoever. The bar is really, really high. So we definitely look at places like Pizza Shoals, Ken's, uh, Red Sauce Pizza, Scotty's, Demo's, or, you know, the, the list goes on of uh, all these great places. And we definitely, like, looked at all them and be like, okay, how we want to make something that, you know, it isn't necessarily we don't want to duplicate any one of those particular styles or anything, but we want to make something that is equally good and equally our own. Um, and what's pardon me? The bell went off. That was a oh, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and, and make something that is just for us. We're like we, you know, for all of our. Uh, guests and everything, our customers, we want to make something that just has amazing dough and then has really good toppings, but also like super familiar as well. Um, I didn't want to feel like too fancy of a place, um, but at the same time, I want to have really high quality. So yeah, we've, we've got the pepperoni, we've got pizza with, all right, I'm going to go ahead and say it, pineapple and ham on there too. We call it the love and hate because it's so polarizing. Um, so you, also, you don't know me well enough to know what any of my listeners are thinking right now that I'm about. To <laughs> but uh, so my thing is a uh, is a speaking of New Haven style, not Portland style. Yeah, a, a white clam pie. So oh, when yeah. when speaking of you know coincidentally when Crown actually when Vitali came out with one a few years ago I was beside myself and then they stopped making it. Everybody I know who has tried it on a regular basis to put it on the menu said it doesn't sell enough yeah, here yeah. to do it regularly which is a bummer but it is what it is but I don't get the shells on the pie that Brian does and I've talked to him about it in New Haven
haven and there's clams baked into the flavor of the crust and yeah. and you can order a white clam pizza all day long and just be in heaven so um you know i'm i don't know if you've ever been to peppies or sally's or modern which is but I'm, yeah, I'm going to order a pie and having to take the shells, pull them off, get the clams out. By the time you do all that, your pie is no longer hot. So um, true. So and anyway, are you going to do it? Can you do a clam pie? And I will say, Scotty, when he came on the podcast, brought me a cl- giant cl- clam pie to the studio when we were in the studio. Yes. Oh dang, that's love. Yeah, that, that's something that you have to miss, right? From from these times of not being in the studio and not having that closer interaction, and nobody nobody can bring you a clam pizza, man, right now. Yeah, I didn't expect. I didn't do. We didn't do the podcast to get free food. Yeah, but, but still. But, yeah. but what I do when you started to say that, it's the only. Th- there are two things I miss from the East Coast because you know I can satisfy any food urge in Portland, Oregon, and have been able to even pizza. I now used to complain I can't get my pizza now it's like i can get great pizza in portland and even out here at the coast but what i miss the the two things i miss the most are great lobster rolls you know and by that i mean easy availability just like what do you want to eat tonight let's go get lobster rolls and and clam clam pizza so then you can't do that but i try to get a trip back there once in a while just to do those in mass quantities and get it out of my system yeah for sure every night lobster roll every night so the, good. I, I have some ideas on clam pizza out here too because it's something that I, I mean I love clams I love seafood and we have a bunch of it here and we played around with doing a clam pie and I don't necessarily want to emulate New Haven style because honestly I'm, I'm, I'm not from that area I didn't grow up there eating it and um I just like clams and so I want to kind of do uh, my own thing with that it sounds so appealing so I did try using some manila clams and and me me as well like I don't want to I don't want to deal with the shells on there and and I'm not knocking um, anyone that puts them on there either I just personally don't want to eat them that way so once you shuck um, a couple pounds of manila clams for a pizza you're like oh yeah I can see I see why these tiny clams they don't shuck very well and you end up with like little bits of shell and all this work that goes into one pizza. But um, the thing that I started looking at are uh, butter clams that uh, are out in Tillamook in the bay there. Okay. There's an outfit that's harvesting them weekly year round and bringing, uh, bringing butter clams into town. And they're a little bit of a larger clam and one that you can shuck easier. And I think that's something that is I definitely want to play with at least as a special basis to uh, to see if there's some interest in that um, because those clams that that's a West Coast thing and I think that that little bake up really nice on a pizza as well they're a lot larger a lot easier to shuck um, and then you and then you can get that that clam that clam juice and everything baked into the pizza that way and really get some good flavor. Yeah, it makes a difference. And also, uh, you know, I've always wondered, and I'm trying to look up quickly and I'm not going to bother because I should know the type of clams they use in New Haven. Um, is there any way to import those? Because that would be pretty cool. And it would be expensive. You'd have to charge a, uh, a premium for them. But uh, those are easier to shuck and they're yeah. bigger. So you need fewer of them. And yeah. I've never been a big manila clam fan just for that reason. They're tiny and there's just too much work. Just like yeah. 
crab versus lobster. Can I say that? Dungeness crab versus lobster. <laughs> I prefer lobster because it's so much easier. And Fair it's enough. good. I think Fair it tastes enough. good. Yeah, I, you actually can get little neck clams out here um, occasionally. Not not always consistently, but you can get those, those little neck clams, which despite their name are, are bigger actually. All right. So, all right. Well, listen, we can pass on beyond the uh, indulge the host of the podcast in (laughs) discussion um, because that shouldn't be the focus of what you're doing. It isn't. But, um, well, I'm glad it would be. I'm certainly going to want to say, hey, can you make me your best clam pie? And I'll be in there. Yeah, when's your birthday, Chris? Uh, April. April 29th, so half, well, we're about halfway there, almost. Okay. It's a long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe even before then, because now I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking that would be delicious. And so you've got, by the way, you've just to, uh, a little geographical perspective, I think you got a great advertising thing built in when the minute people walk out of Ringside Steakhouse, they're staring at your sign. Totally. Yeah. I noticed. I didn't know where you were. And then I went to dinner at Ringside. You know, I'd read the article. We booked the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I obviously walked out and boom, there you were. So that. We love the Ringside so much. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't mind doing a little trade with you, too. That may or may not have already happened. (laughs) <laughs> I, well, I bet you it has family meals in there. I would bet. I would bet that has occurred. And so they've, you're. They've been very sweet to us. So. Oh, great! And so with Jonathan, Chef Jonathan, mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. So, um, so you are open now. We're open. Yeah, we're open. We're open for takeout right now. We're not open for uh, for dining yet in the inside, but we're we're so, ready. So how does, I'm just curious, because I hadn't really thought about this until now, how does the parking work for takeout on West Burnside there? What, we, if, we actually have a parking lot um, at that space, so people can just pull right in and park. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's going Otherwise, it would be a little difficult to go find a spot and Absolutely. walk over. Absolutely. No, you can actually just pull right in the lot there, so it works out really well. One one would think that we cued that just to have you problem solution. Right? <laughs> Actually, thanks for mentioning. That's great. Yeah. No, well, I I was I was only mentioning because I was thinking about clam pizza, going to pick one up, and then my mind goes to, well, where do I park? I guess I could park in the ringside parking lot, but I, that would be valet at that hour. So it's very um, dangerous to cross the street there, anyway. Yeah, I've tried it. Uh, at any time at any time of day so uh it's not a good idea emily where did you come from where did you grow up i grew up in michigan that um kalamazoo michigan actually oh cool yeah so and when did you move out here what brought you out what brought both of you out here yeah so i came out um actually family lived out here my uncle tim moved out let's see ended up working at a great camp out in the San Juan Islands, still love the San Juan Islands, mm-hmm. and then subsequently uh, moved to Portland. And it's, a, it's a bit of a long story, but yeah well we like long stories we're an hour-long podcast so we can we can handle those i mean we're getting there oh my god this is going fast so and how did you two meet and by the way scott i saw i believe in the eater article i mentioned rue that was one of my favorite places when i first moved out here i used to go up there oh yeah 
Yeah, I didn't know anybody then. I just used to like the food. So um. the place was great, and that—that's where we met. We met working there. We were both um, part of the opening crew there. I tried to quit restaurants altogether right before that. Um, but then you would have had to quit Scott once you met. You had to. Well, yeah. Then a friend was like, "There's this great place opening," and I'd already met the owner uh, in my previous job working at Noble Rock. The, the OG Noble Rod over there in Southeast. Mm-hmm. And so last minute I showed up, got hired right then. And, and so was it love at first sight or was it a slow development? And did you, in those days, did you have to resist because it wasn't appropriate in the workplace? Yeah, there was some resistance. Yeah, slow burn for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was all the things you just mentioned. Um, and it was definitely it, we we just we went for it actually, and it didn't matter whether it was something that was permissible or anything else. Was it right there in the kitchen? Well, that's the, that's the classified information. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Well, no one's going to call you on it now, but I was just, I, I just find those stories fun. So um, how did you both uh, move from there to Crown Paella? What was the genesis well, of that? We actually, after, after we finished working at Rue, um, we both went on to work with the guys at Simpatica. And I went, at the time, we were planning to try to open a uh, Basque-style Spanish restaurant in Portland, and that was the food that I was really focused on. And so we started working with the guys from Simpatica and doing some Basque and Spanish-influenced dinners with their sort of weekend supper clubs. And then I started helping them out with the catering, and they ultimately opened up Laurelhurst Market. And at that point, I just took over running the kitchen there. And Emily was doing a lot of the front of the house stuff with all the dinners and everything there. And, and we did that. We worked there together for, I think it was a little Five over years. four years, maybe. Years. And it was time to... The, the restaurant thing ultimately wasn't really happening within that time frame. We had the big recession and everything that happened in 2008 it just didn't feel like a good time to try to open something up and so I was trying to talk Scott out of getting an executive chef job you know that's 80 to 100 hours a week we're never going to open anything and that's a big commitment in terms of years you know to commit to the new job so we were sort of at a, a moment and so and I decided well hey you know there's a, been a lot of demand for Spanish food, and you know I'm trying to do this Basque, this Basque thing, and some Spanish from their Spanish food from that particular region, which doesn't include paella. But anytime I would mention Spanish food, people are like, "Yeah, paella! I want paella." And um, as a business person, I was like, "You know, I think I better listen to what everybody is telling me they want." And uh, the thing that wasn't happening at all were like this big, large paellas. And at that point, I had some catering experience under my belt. And so I was like, well, what if? What if we bought some large pans and started booking a few paella parties? And maybe that'll keep me from having to, to get a full-time job if I can just sort of skate by, pay the bills, and we can keep working on our restaurant plans. 
uh, one thing led to another and it was like three months later and we were approached to do a 700 person event and so that was sort of the big shot in the arm and the how many pans do you need for 700 people a lot, a lot of pans a lot of and pans. a lot of people you need lot, to tend to it. it's a lot of heavy steel yeah it's a lot yeah but also how do you you know out of the blue how do you tend to how do you make great paella with that many pans and make sure a lot <laughs> yeah. drink a lot of coffee you, you run around like a mad person and Do a lot of heavy you talk real fast to a lot of people uh, fortunately you know with the, being such a small community within the within the restaurant community we're able to tap into a lot of people a lot of talented professional cooks and a lot of talented people to help us out with the front of the house and uh, a lot of people would come on board who you know had other restaurant gigs would come on board to help us out with our events and so that was really what made it possible to be able to scale up quickly and do the, the large things. And that model sort of worked out for us for the entire 10 years as well. We had you know, a small crew of full-time employees helping us out, but we also had um, a roster of maybe like 30 people who were professionals working in other restaurants or who were people who had been in the restaurant business, but then were maybe you know, going to school to, to get out of that business, but or working their other in their other profession, but really love you know the industry, and that was a moment for them to step back in. Yeah, yeah. And well, plus to work with you wasn't uh, necessarily. I'm sure there were some people who were with you a lot at a lot of events, but it wasn't a five day a week commitment or seven day six exactly. or whatever it was commitment. It was let me get this, let me get a taste of this here and there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We were, we were very lucky that way to work with so really talented people. Yeah. You must have. You learned from, I would assume that at Simpatica, Gorham was there at, maybe at the time making paella, perhaps. No, or, he just left actually whenever I came okay. on board. Yeah. yeah. So there were, but have you been to Barcelona or, or Spain to I've been experience? To Barcelona. I staged at uh, Michelin starred restaurants in San Sebastian. And uh, Emily and I had taken, well, whenever we first got together, we took like four big trips to San Sebastian. And, and that was Barcelona. before we had children. <laughs> I mean, eight child. So we, we were really, we were working hard on, on mastering that type of food and, and um, you know, with, with, again, with the intent of trying to open a Basque restaurant. And, well, it also show, it shows your passion too that you needed to go over there to explore the roots of the of the cuisine and get to know it. So um, yeah, we killed ourselves eating on a couple of those trips. I mean, so meant so much food. Well, you know how it goes. It's hard work when you when you have to like cram like a year's worth of eating experience into like your two week trip, right? I'm not only that, I'm going to take the opportunity right now to take a little break to talk about our trips that we're doing next year. Yeah. To I mean, I wasn't planning on it, but we're going to insert a little message right here, right now. Chris and Scott and Emily kind of brought up the subject, Basque Country. You have your own experience happening there soon, right? Right. We just made the call recently to actually do our April 2022 trip, which was originally scheduled for April of 2020. And if you think back, you can see why. We're two years out on that, but we have a little space left for that trip in April uh, and also another trip to Basque Country with Javier Canteras and his 
beautiful wife, JL, who handles the front of the house at Urdaneta. And so uh, this trip has been sold out for a long time. And of course, a couple of spots have shaken loose over two years uh, since we had to put it off for a couple of years. So one is in April and another one is in September of 2022. We've got a couple of spots left, but also to Italy, Western Sicily, in September of 2022 with my dear friend Ostri Ensign. We're going to enjoy that region and uh, we just had about four people sign up for that trip this week. People are, there's pent up demand to travel. So what I suggest is uh, everyone listening to this podcast, you can still listen and go to portlandfoodadventures.com and check out the trips you can book tab and go down to start with Sicily, see if that's of interest, and uh, then off to Basque Country, those two possible trips. We'd love to have you join us. It's a lot of fun. We've been doing this for five years, no, six years now. And, uh, and we know these three trips next year are gonna be fantastic. Uh, do you have some favorites? First of all, we don't know the lay of the land perfectly in San Sebastian right now, but do you have some favorite spots in San Sebastian that you recall, that, that you know that you would tell people? Yeah, I mean, there there is just so much good food there, and I I have um, I have like some of my favorites that are really well known, and then I have some of my places that uh, are just sort of like the the local bars that people go to that I really love as well. Um, Bar Nestor is a is a really good one, you know. Of course, um, Jose took us there. Bar Nestor, I, yeah, so, I'm glad that was one we've been to. Uh, Atari is a really cool place there too. Um, it's one that's notable, worth checking out. Their food is super fun, and it's a little bit more. It's definitely you know all the food there is really really grounded and steeped in culture and the history of the place. Um, but theirs is a, is a little bit more uh, sort of modern and kind of pushing it a little bit more with their influence as well. One of my favorite little. Have you been to Zubaroa? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a favorite, for sure. That's one place we're going. So, um, yeah, I just, just curious. What about Barcelona? Some of your favorites in Barcelona? Yeah, you know, I, so I don't really know Barcelona that well. Whenever we were there, we were mostly just sort of, um, it was, it was a little early on in the relationship, Chris, so. Oh, okay. You know, the focus was elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were just, like, sort of exploring the city and just and just having a good time and just drinking and stumbling into places. And actually, one of the best meals we had in Barcelona was on the outskirts of town uh, after, after Emily's purse was snatched and we lost her passport. So we had to go to the, the consulate. You know, these are the adventures that you have when you're traveling, right? Mm-hmm. We, took that, we took that train that you never take, which is the one, like, the sort of, like, city train that goes outside of Barcelona. If you get on the wrong train and you're going the wrong way, like, outside mm-hmm. of the city, we had to take that. Yeah. So we, we took that to, like, some little hamlet on the outskirts of town. And we got to the consulate. And the consulate's open, of course, but the, the guard entryway and everything is all run by Spaniards and so it's on a different time schedule so you can't get in like during the hours of like now they don't exist everything yeah. like, like the opposite yeah, I, I just, where you can get into that building 
I once pointed out, and I think this is the case, and I could be wrong, but I, I remember looking at the hours for Quimet Quimet in um, Barcelona, yeah. and I believe they're closed Saturdays and Sundays. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's yeah. the antithesis of the way Americans think. They're, they're thinking we need the time off. It's a lifestyle. And, it's more of a lifestyle in some ways. Exactly. But I could be wrong about that. I don't want anybody to be pissed off, but I'm pretty sure I saw that at one point. But, um, <laughs> but I remember trying to get get things done and the, the, getting to stores, and they were closed at the exact oh, yeah. you know, hours, I thought. So, well, that's around, of course, and we found this very oh. charming little place. Amazing there. restaurant. We yeah. ended up going back to it. We actually took the train back out of town another time just to go there. Nice. Do you remember the name of it offhand? No, I don't. I think we have a cocktail napkin stuffed in a travel journal somewhere, though. All right. Yeah, we do. Love oh. to know about that for returns, but we have quite a few favorites over there. So where I was getting before, and I'm kind of notorious for changing tracks and going all over the place, I feel that it's necessary to listen to the entire podcast that way because we come back to things as well. But um, are you are you going to open Crown Paella again? Or is that is that uh, something that Pizza Cat is going to take its place? You know, I think that Crown Paella will probably make a return at some point. Um, I don't, I don't know in what way or what capacity right now we have all of that stuff in storage and it's just sort of shelved for now. And mostly we're just focusing on this and, uh, really move, pushing it forward. So the, the fate of crown is sort of yet to be determined, but it's, it's still on the back burner for sure. It's absolutely, so the pandemic, one of the things the pandemic zapped us with is it's really hard now to find paella in Portland. I'm sure it could be had, but now there's no more Toro Bravo, now there's no more Atala, and now there's, right now, no more Crown. So um, yeah. there it went, a lot, of, a lot of casualties. Are there any casualties that you know of? I mean, we just heard about the Paleys. That's really sad. That are particularly uh, gut-wrenching for you that we've that we've just heard about or have heard about? And Jose leaving town, was that was a really, that was a big blow. We are sad. We love them so much. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I mean, anyone who knows them loves those guys. They're absolutely fabulous, and he's just such an amazing um, chef, and his, his food is so good. We're talking about Jose Chesa at Atala. I, I've learned that you can't assume that everybody knows, unlike a conversation. Sure, that we yeah, totally. One thing that's really striking me is there's a lot of great places that have closed, but there's also just a lot of people struggling right now still. Um, and, you know, we sort of get tired of, like, hearing it. Even we get tired of hearing ourselves talk about it, but, like, how hard it is to sort of the spotlight has been on that for so long people are kind of sick of being like yep it's hard to have a restaurant uh-huh yep but it still yeah. is so it's sort of a, a big shout out to those people that are just sort of whether or not they've had the worst year ever or whether they've been squeaking by um but the people are just continuing i mean it's Kristen Murray sticks out in my head right now. Oh my God, the the she's hell she's been me. going through with her first her mom and then the the vandalism down near Maurice is yeah. just gut wrenching. Just soldiering on, and she's such a lovely human being. And still has positive things to say too. Yeah, and she's still in business, so. Everybody go support her. She's. The but you know, I think this is uh, an, just this talking to you right now is analogous to the timeline so for a while on this podcast 
to, to address what you were just talking about, it was really tough to not have negative, depressing conversations. And after a while, we took the whole summer of 2020 and just said, we're just doing repeats right now. There was nothing good to say. There was nothing new. And plus that was a volatile, volatile time where I was personally concerned with saying the wrong thing about anything. I was literally at the yeah. point where I was like, I don't want to even, you know, in an hour conversation, something could ha I could say, and then next thing you know. And, it, and those kind of things did happen on Facebook for me and those sorts of things. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, you know, one of the things we never did on the podcast was become like a PR opportunity for people who are opening things. So I never wanted to talk to anybody about something they were opening six months down the road or three months down the road because invariably that would be a year down the road anyway so we just had this podcast that really was sort of irrelevant and <laughs> not irre it wasn't irrelevant but I want people to be able to act I want people to be able to go to Pizza Cat after they hear this podcast to have that experience and so now all of a sudden we have there are things uh, I just uh, talked to Cameron at, at more ch opening Morcella so, so after the fire and everything burning down now we have some seedlings and some things coming up that we can talk about that are positive so Very yeah it's it's exciting yet at the, in the same week we're talking about this just hearing about Paley's place closing is just it's just really sad uh, I think so those things are still going to happen and I, I I'm curious I was talking about this yesterday even as we go over the next year so labor costs have gone up food costs have gone up and consumers have been, you know, restaurants haven't been the only ones that, ones that have been financially hit by this. Consumers aren't yeah. really ready to look at menus with higher prices. And we already are. I know that. I've seen a few things as well. I never saw that before. I better get used to it. Uh, so what do you think about the, for the what do you, how do you feel about the restaurant industry going forward? How it's going to survive in the face of, and I didn't even mention labor shortages as well. How's that going? Uh, yeah, that going? I, mean, I I have no idea. I can't. Uh, it's hard for me to sort of speak for um, any sort of uh, industry in, in its entirety, just because everybody everybody is sort of dealing with it in their own way and really trying to to figure things out in their own way. And, and you know, we're we're doing the same, and we're trying to plot it out. And one of the things that I sort of use as an ethos with the company is is people over profit or people before profit really and and so the decisions that we're making and the way that we're navigating everything is we're just thinking about people first we're putting that first and and that means our employees that means our customers that are coming in um, that means ourselves, that means the farmers and the people that we buy things from. And we're sort of prioritizing that with all of our decision making. And, you know, profit is a, is a really important part of the equation as well. But for me, it's really important that it's not at the expense of any of those other aforementioned people. And that's really going to shape all the decisions moving forward. And so there's a balancing act there of making sure that <clears throat> you're paying people what they what they need to make and what they what they deserve 
you're charging your guests that come in like uh, a fair price and, and giving them what they want and you know you're supporting the right people in the community and and that you yourself or ourselves in this case you know that we're having fun doing it we're taking care of our, ourselves too and keeping an environment that, that's good and that's positive and I think that that, uh, that radiates outward. I think that if you're enjoying what you're doing, that people really sense that. They sense it when they come in to eat, they taste it in the food, they feel it. And I think that that's an, an appealing thing. And I think it's appealing for people that want to work there as well. And so we're sort of navigating it with, with that perspective in mind and just taking it one step at a time. Uh, it's really hard to predict you know how things are going to be six months from now but we're just going to use like that scope to sort of plot the course as we go yeah I, I think that makes a lot of sense but it also as you said the word balance is going to be there because yeah. you can't just set it all one way and then expect to be able to sustain as well mm-hmm. so and that's why i asked the question because i just don't know i hear a lot of uh, you know cameron at Morcella the other day was hit hit really focused on that and my question was i i would imagine that a lot of our restaurants that have been around for quite a while with chefs that we all know they've they have that in mind they have have attempted that but you know sometimes the push comes to shove and i really think it it's who knows who who knows but it's going to be challenging going forward even more challenging than it used to be to focus on people and and proper wages and treatment and so forth but it may not be who knows we don't know how the economy is going to shake out and what's going to come from that but i do think it makes i'm not i'm not a restaurant expert or a business expert by any means but it makes sense that if you create a solid foundation then at least you're not going to get pissed off people along the way and that hurts you know in this yelp world it hurts it it hurts badly when you have people who don't love you they yeah. have to love you. And, and in Portland, world, word travels very fast. So if it's positive word of mouth, that's going to work in your favor. And I think you know that. So, yeah. We hope anyway, right? You know, we, that's, that's the goal. That's I'm, sure, the goal. I'm sure we'll piss people off. I mean, that's this part of what happens in life. But that's what we'll be definitely trying to avoid doing. And really, I think everybody, all of us are looking for some fun. I mean, it's been a long haul everyone's pushed to the limits and whatever their own challenges are so every some of the stuff that we're trying to do besides making the great food scott's in charge of that um but to just just put a little bit fun back into it whether you're like swinging to pick up a pizza or whether you're you know once we open up the restaurant whether you're coming in like something that just makes you feel like yeah i'm alive and this is a good thing like Let's do this. Let's have some fun. If you're hanging out in, the, in our in our back alley drinking blue darts, like <laughs> the whole idea of it is is fun. It's fun, fun for us and fun for the people that that come in as well. That's why we, that's why I put in a stereo system. The first thing I did when we started doing all this was put in a sweet stereo system with uh, nice speakers in the front of the house and and two sets of nice speakers in the back of the house too. I'm like, I want to rock out. I want to like I want to make some good pizzas, make some good food. I want to have fun with the people I'm working with, and uh, I just want to feed people good stuff. And and 
watch them have a good time too. I think we all need that. We definitely all need that. But that's we exciting. all need that, and I think it's really exciting. You you must be really excited because it's a new project, right? It's a new time, and you're developing something from scratch. Uh, no pun intended. And. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine you're really excited. And anybody who knows you two and has been to one of your events and just knows you personally knows that whatever you do is going to be delicious and as you want it to be fun. I think, yeah. I think that's what you did with paella, right? That was not your typical catering situation. That was that had as its as its core deliciousness and fun, and that's what you're trying to do with Pizza Cat too. So that's what you will do. That's what you will do. So I'm looking forward to uh, my first order. And uh, you know, I don't live in Portland per se, but I'm there enough now, and I do stop in at Ringside. So maybe I think the 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 plan would be maybe dinner at Ringside and pop over to get some takeout pizza to take home and have the next day because it's gonna it's gonna live till the next day and be oh, absolutely. It really like a dream. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. Well, so thank you. I can't thank you enough. I was looking forward to this. We were supposed to do this last week, and I, I'm the one who moved, so I appreciate your flexibility, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. It's one of the great things I love about this podcast is because I don't get it. You, everybody in the industry is very busy, and so other than those the type of events that I cited earlier. I don't get a lot of chance to chat with you, but we just had a, a nice solid hour and I get to look at you and see how you look, you know, right out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and your, your hair has dried really nicely over the hour. So, yeah. hey, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This is one of the, the really the best things that came out of the pandemic is this hair. I mean, uh, what was it? What, what, you mean the length or just the. Oh, yeah. You should look up was, an old photo, Chris. Check out, check out a photo <laughs> from last year versus this year. Okay, we'll do I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna look why, don't, why don't you send us one of those photos and we'll use it as the, um, as the uh, whatever, ah, I can't even think. Just the photo that we use for the thumbnail for the podcast. Before and after. Yeah, it's send us a square before and after. It's perfect. Right. But we need to put you in too, Emily. No, oh, that'll so, just be there. I'm always there in the background. That's fine. That's right. Well, either that or we'll just, there are beautiful pictures of the two of you, and the screenshots aren't going to work because, oh, I'm going to try it. But, uh, yeah, you, there you go. But there, the uh, transmission is kind of spotty here. The resolution isn't that great. I, I hope the audio turned out well, and I'm sure it did. So, so listen, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. It's yeah, great, great to see you. Oh, appreciation. Anybody who stuck with us, let's give them how to find you. So we, we told them about your location, but uh, Instagram and website and all that good stuff, how to order pizza, give us that. Yeah, so website is pizzacat.com. Pizza Cat with a K. Right. Right. And then uh, on that note, it turns out if you're trying to drive there, you have to say Pizza K-A-T. That's okay. Help. And we don't want people to end up at that little chain that has the C and more Italian letters at the end. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> so that, that could happen. Uh, Instagram is Pizza Cat Pizza. And that's kind of all we got. Yeah. We're not very good at that. That's you, can, you can order online, which makes it really, really simple. Oh, we have too. delivery. We have delivery now, too. Yo, you have delivery. Yeah, How yeah, far? Door What's the limit? How far do you go out? It's it's 
it's not in house yet, so Caviar and DoorDash go pretty far. Okay, great. And can anybody actually make a phone call to order pizza? Oh, yeah, you can call us 503 310 0011. Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 right now. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, and that answers that question because uh, this morning I thought we were thinking of places to go kind of early yesterday after Nikki, the Nikki block party. And uh, I was pissed off this morning because I said we could have gone to Pizza Cat, but we couldn't have because you weren't open. So, yeah. we'll be, so we'll be out of days. I mean, hopefully eventually we'll, we'll have a, we'll be seven days, but we just, we're sticking with a pretty small crew right now and just trying to take it one step at a time. So it's a good start. And you're getting your footing and what's your favorite pie right now if i if i called said just give me your best shot get wild that's my favorite pizza right now smoked chanterelles uh house pooled mozz house made ricotta little uh green scallions in there it's a white pie too yeah it's a white pie oh we, we like the white pies Long Fantastic. now i'm so hungry <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you. Great to see you, Chris. Great to see you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 